faithwire.com. The Homeland Security Secretary says the border crisis is unsustainable. That and some amazing leaked audio. Today's Friday, August 13th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros. We'll have this story and more on today's 4 and 3 podcast from CBN's Faithwire. Four big stories, three things you need to know about them, all from a Christian perspective. That's what we do here. Joining me today is Trey Goins Phillips from Faithwire.com with a look at what we're covering. What's going on, Trey? Happy Friday. I'll get that in first. <laughs> I know. Happy Friday. Friday the 13th. That's, uh, you know, if I was a superstitious man, yeah. but I'm just a little stitious. Fans of the office will know what I mean there. <laughs> All right. So uh, coming up today, we have Texas declaring that sex change surgeries for minors are a form of child abuse. A popular writer gets cheers as he unloads on child mask policies <laughs> at the Nashville school board meeting. And then we spoke with a formerly gay man at the center of Netflix's brand new Pray Away documentary, Critical Conversion Therapy, and the Evangelical View of Homosexuality. So we'll get his reaction and uh, why he chose to participate in it. All right, a lot of good stuff coming up, and we will start with the Homeland Security Secretary here for story number one. Alejandro Mayorkas met privately with Border Patrol agents in Texas, and he said in leaked audio that the border crisis is, quote, unsustainable and, quote, we're going to lose if the borders are the first line of defense. Uh, A couple days ago, I was down in Mexico, and I said, look, you know, if our borders are the first line of defense, we're going to lose. And this is unsustainable. This is audio obtained by Fox News's Bill um, Malugin through a Border Patrol source. He said, we can't continue like this. Our people in the field can't continue and our system isn't built for it. He also said that agents, um, uh, he told him that the current situation can't continue, uh, that the federal government system wasn't designed to it, etc., etc., Um, This comes as we learn that 212,000 migrant encounters in July uh, were recorded, marking a 13% increase from the previous month. Um, Mm. He also admitted that this is one of the toughest challenges that we face. And um, then uh, one of the agents could be heard on the leaked audio telling uh, the secretary that for those of us who have been around here long enough, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We've had this happen before. We know exactly how to shut it down. We need to make illegal entry illegal. Uh, the secretary thanked the border agents for their heroic efforts, he called them. And he even said he'd do what he could to get them hazard pay for the Delta variant, uh, variant surge of the virus. And he said he also is requesting 2,000 additional Border Patrol agents uh, in the upcoming uh, budget for 2023. Um, which is probably going to rankle the feathers of uh, certain progressive Democrats like AOC and Ilhan Omar, etc. Rashida Tlaib, who in, back in 2020 released a statement saying that the Customs and Border Protection and ICE are, quote, rogue agencies that act to inflict harm on our communities and have a pattern of behavior of abuse and mismanagement of funds. So um, there are new, this, this is all happening as there are new images coming in showing what appears to be scores of migrants in what look like quote-unquote cages as we've heard them described over the years uh, particularly when president trump was in office yet there's been little to no coverage of that in the media and also clearly another interesting thing in this story trey clearly someone from the border patrol leaked this audio like clearly they know that Mm -hmm. the government can probably figure out who did it given by where he was visiting where the secretary was 
Uh, and clearly they don't care about the ramifications. They just must believe that this issue is too important to keep quiet. So why does it matter? Well, one, because the hypocrisy is pretty crazy, um, especially when it comes to COVID. You know, yeah. do we do we think people illegally crossing the border care if they have COVID or not? Of course not. They're in a desperate situation. Um, and so that's juxtaposed with U.S. citizens currently being restricted more and more. Uh, but illegals are allowed to flow across the border without concern from the administration. So obviously, as Christians, you know, we feel for those uh, struggling, looking for a better place to live. But the solution is not just to open everything up and make it a free for all. That's not good for anyone. Yeah. And the hypocrisy part is really frustrating because it seems like um, it's just immigration is just this political football that gets passed back and forth and nothing ever gets done. But then behind closed doors, as we're hearing in this leaked audio, um, they're, everybody's pretty much saying the same thing. This is a crisis. Uh, it's out of, uh, you know, it's out of control. Um, but nobody wants to take the the steps necessary publicly to, to, to bring it under control. And look, I understand they're, it's really complex. It's not like, it's not like any one person has cornered the market on the best way to solve these right. problems, but securing the border would be a good start and, and not sending these mixed messages. Like the, the Biden administration has been sending mixed messages since day one about uh, immigration. That's why the borders were flooded so much. And then they try to walk that back and saying, no, no, we're not telling anybody to come. Right. Uh, but then we're also saying we're not going to turn anybody away, uh, you know, their children. So uh, it's it's just a I don't know. It's a, it's a tough situation, and I, the mixed messaging for political points just isn't helping at all. It's just making matters worse. Yeah, and and when you hear the secretary say that in leaked uh, audio, I think that's probably some of the point that they're trying to make is that the administration actually acknowledges that this is a really serious problem, but that's yeah. not the messaging that they want to uh, present. Uh, to the country. So, yeah. All right. Story number two. So Texas Governor Greg Abbott announced this week that performing sex reassignment surgeries on minors is a form of child abuse. The governor made the announcement Thursday after receiving a report from Jamie Masters, the commissioner of the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. Masters, Abbott said in a statement, examined whether genital mutilation of a child for purposes of gender transitioning through reassignment surgeries constitutes child abuse. Masters affirmed that it is, in fact, child abuse. She said this surgical procedure physically alters a child's genitalia for non-medical purposes, potentially inflicting harm to children's bodies. Generally, children in the care and custody of a parent lack the legal capacity to consent to surgical treatments, making them more vulnerable. She did, however, acknowledge a handful of exceptions. Master said it may be warranted for the following conditions, including but not limited to a child whose body parts have been affected by illness or trauma, who is born with a medically verifiable genetic disorder of sex development, such as the presence of both ovarian and testicular tissue, or who does not have the normal sex chromosome structure for male or female as determined through genetic testing. Of course, we should note that all of those, uh, those exceptions that she noted are exceedingly rare. Uh, she went on to state, though, that failure to report suspected abuse within a timely manner could result in a Class A misdemeanor charge, which could include jail time. So what's the left saying? Well, groups like the ACLU have argued these kinds of proclamations and laws drawing similar conclusions are discriminatory and harmful, uh, many in favor of treating gender dysphoria diagnoses with hormone therapies or even surgeries, have argued that the depression from denying minors the freedom to transition could result in suicide. 
Late last month, a federal judge temporarily blocked an Arkansas law condemned by the ACLU for banning doctors from prescribing transgender treatments and performing surgeries on minors. The judge said the law would cause irreparable harm to dysphoric kids by pulling their care midstream, referring to you know to, to minors who are right now undergoing hormonal therapy treatment or undergoing you know a series of, of surgeries and stopping them right now because of this law would do more harm than good, the judge argued. So what's the right saying? Well, conservatives like Abbott have argued it's abusive to children to allow them to make decisions that will have permanent ramifications before they're clinically capable of making such consequential choices. Conservatives have argued that the decision-making parts of our brains aren't even fully formed until we're 25 years old, so to put that much power in a child's hands is irresponsible at best and abusive at worst. Uh, talking about how it you know, could lead to, to permanent sterilization. They couldn't have kids in the future, and not to mention the physical differences in their body uh, that are you know, more obvious. Uh, so why does it matter? This has become such an emotional and politically charged issue, Dan, over the last several years. There are certainly instances in which kids should receive care for their experiences. And I'm talking, you know, therapy uh, and counseling, psychological right. care. But to place the decision-making process uh, fully in the hands of kids <laughs> uh, to make these uh, literally life-altering, permanently life-altering, in many cases, decisions, seems to be a completely unacceptable answer. Uh, not to mention the, the theological issue here as Christians. Obviously, we know how God designed us as male and female, and he designed us, you know, designed us that way on purpose. Purpose. Uh, you know, that's not to say we don't have issues, we don't have struggles in this broken world. But like I said, uh, you know, allowing kids to make these permanent decisions seems it should be an unacceptable answer. Yeah. And uh, and this comes to I saw another story, um, some advocate, I, I'm not sure what their title was, they were pushing for four year olds, as young as four mm -hmm. to be able to switch their own gender if they want. <laughs> And you just have to wonder what in the world are we thinking yeah. when that's even a remote possibility. Anyone who's had a child or even has seen a child knows a four-year-old is not capable of making their own decisions. Yeah, uh, it's just it's just not reality. I, I mean, I don't even know what else to say about it, but uh, that seems to be the direction people want to go. And I just it's such a, a false claim to suggest that kids know what's best for them. I mean, that is, again, that's why we have parents. That is the the design. I mean, of course, there are plenty on the left. I'm thinking right now of the Black Lives Matter organization uh, who's, uh, who wants to break down the nuclear structure yeah. of the family. But yeah. like, uh, that's literally what parents are for, to step in and say, you know, this, this might seem like it's the right decision, might seem like it's the best decision, but I'm older. I have more experience. You know, I chose to have kids. I, I, I've taken the responsibility, the burden of raising you, uh, you know, because you can't make those decisions for yourself right. you need an advocate and that's what your parents are supposed to be and if we're not allowing parents to advocate for their children uh, by denying them these requests at such young ages then i you know we're taking away that that is their core fundamental duty as a parent is to be their their child's advocate uh, and and you know blocking them from doing that is uh you know is so wrong yeah no 100 percent couldn't agree more and um we'll, we'll keep reporting on those types of stories because it is important. We can't just put our heads in the sand. We got to know where culture's going on this stuff because if we don't combat it, we're going to wake up one day and all this stuff will be completely normalized and you're just going to have to deal with it. It's just going to be too late. So, yeah. um, got to know what's going on. 
All right, let's uh, let's head into story number three here. Conservative commentator, author, and writer at the Daily Wire, Matt Walsh. He's no stranger to weighing in on controversial issues. And the child <laughs> mask mandate at Nashville schools is no exception. Walsh, is uh, he's now living in Nashville, uh, the Nashville area, after the Daily Wire fled California and moved their offices and made their headquarters uh, in Tennessee, which they felt was a more business-friendly state. Uh, but Matt showed up at a school board hearing uh, and tore into their child mask policy. He accused the board of just not presenting any facts and vowed to use his three minutes uh, of time to, to do just that. So here is uh, here is a clip of uh, how, how that went uh, at this meeting with uh, Matt Walsh there. You presented no facts at all, uh, so let me do that now. Here they are. COVID poses almost no risk to our kids at all. 4.2 million children have tested positive for COVID. A total of 0.008% of them have died. What about the flu? The CDC estimates that 480 kids died from the flu in the 2018-2019 season. That's more than have died from COVID in a year and a half. Now, did anyone on this board suggest at any point that year that kids wear masks? Did anyone in this room suggest that at any point anyone wear masks for flu, which again is more dangerous to kids than COVID. That's a fact. Now, do you know what it's called when you force your children to wear masks for fear of a virus that poses almost no threat to them? It's called child abuse. You want to look up a disease, look up Munchausen by proxy, because that's what this is. If you think I'm exaggerating, then how would you respond to a parent who forced his kid to wear a football helmet every day, all day, for fear of falling coconuts and meteors? Your kid is, is almost as likely to die of COVID as he is from a rock from the sky. And yet, if you saw that, you would say to that parent that he is abusive, that he is forcing his kid to participate in this utterly insane charade in order to satisfy his delusional, psychotic hypochondria. Now, do any of you know what sort of psychological damage we do to children by forcing them to cover their faces, teaching them that the air is toxic, that everyone around them is sick? Have you wondered about the health effects of forcing kids to breathe through sweat and spit and dirt-soaked rags every single day? What about learning to read and they can't see the teacher enunciating the words? What does it do to a child's developing immune system if he has to wear a mask all day, every day? You're satisfied to place this burden on children anyway, and why? It's not to keep them safe, they are safe. It's not to keep the adults safe, they can all get vaccinated if they want. No, you do it to make yourselves feel better and to protect yourselves politically. The child's mask is a symbolic security blanket for you, not them. It's a disgrace and you should all be ashamed. Thank you for your time. Yeah, that was Matt Walsh doing his best uh, Ben Shapiro impersonation there, trying to get all the words in in three minutes. Um, but Walsh, you know, he mentioned those low number of uh, COVID deaths among children, which um, really stands at a rate that's, a f- that's fractions of a percent and um, is, ends up being less than the number of children who died from the flu in the 2018 to 2019 season. So there were no calls for mask wearing then, as Matt pointed out. And um, and as also, as you heard, he likened it to the um, Munchausen by proxy syndrome, you know, which is where that caregiver will make up an illness and then just treat their child for it, even though they don't have anything. Uh, and so, you know, he kind of wrapped that up, making the point that this is nothing more than just empty virtue signaling so that they don't get yelled at politically. So the logic yeah. is, I think, pretty inescapable there, Trey. I mean, you know, there's often little to no facts being used to justify things like masking our children there is a poll making the rounds that shows if you if you google it and say like well what about masking for kids it'll say well there's broad support 
for child mask mandates at the, in schools. But that is only a survey, if you look at the fine print there, of parents with teenagers, and they're arguing, the poll question is you know, only addressing the unvaccinated. Should they be mandated to wear a mask? So the media repeats the study over and over, so that's the headline everywhere. And the impression is that parents are totally fine with masking the children, but it's a little more complicated than that because we don't have a similar study making the rounds that is that's in that I know of that's out there that talks about, well, what about kids under 12? What about mm-hmm. those who are vaccinated? So that information that's making the rounds now is probably skewed from actual what what parents actually think about children overall being masked. So uh, and this comes to as we're starting to see other mandates get floated around. Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of went viral for saying, quote, screw your freedoms when talking about the vaccine and mask mandates and further restrictions. Um, Biden, Biden admitted that he's floated the idea of limiting travel between states for the young vac- unvaccinated. And uh, this is what I thought was interesting, Trey. Biden is, quote, working to make life more uncomfortable for the unvaccinated. So and then mm-hmm. another Ben Ben Wakana, who's a deputy director of strategic communication engagement for the White House and their COVID-19 response team. He said vaccine mandates are, quote, the right lever at the right time, end quote. So why does this one matter? Well, I mean, it matters because, you know, so much for all the unity talk back in January. That's kind <laughs> of out the window. Now we're working to make life uncomfortable for a good portion of the population. I didn't I didn't know that was a job description of the president. Um, yeah. But, you know, look, regardless of your stance on vaccines, just the approach that government is taking and that a lot of people are seemingly OK with. I mean, I think it should really concern all of us. Yeah, and I've noticed the messaging over the last uh, you know several weeks change uh, because if you remember, um, Biden famously said that he's not going to shut down the country again. He's going to shut down the virus, right. uh, and we're we're going to end the pandemic. Uh, but now the messaging has completely changed. Like we're no longer ending the pandemic. It's just like let's you know this rolling uh, you know cycle of of mandates that come and go, and you know at at whatever leisure different uh administration officials want, want to put them in place and um so uh, yeah that's upsetting to see that that we're just seemingly okay with these these rolling mandates that come and go uh you know randomly um but also I, it just i don't know I, I wonder about the why we seem to be just okay to go with more and more and more restrictions and i understand that there are a great deal of people who just want to be safe and they want to keep their children safe you know people on both sides of that aisle i'm not i don't think everybody has nefarious intentions there i think there are people on both sides of this argument who have good intentions but i do wonder why there's no thought given like matt mentioned to the psychological effects of this stuff uh, to what are going to be the long-term ramifications of putting these kind of mandates in place of making kids cover their faces of teaching them to be paranoid uh, about their environments there are going to be long-term ramifications of this and i feel like we're just dismissing them as if that's not a serious concern yeah yeah i really do think there's going to be a whole lot of um um, what do you call it? Do- documentaries going on in, yeah. in about 10 years from now, looking back on this and we're going to look at it and go, wow, we really did that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the answer is yes. Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. 
story number four. So uh, Netflix just debuted a new documentary called Pray Away. It critically chronicles the history of so-called conversion therapy and casts a dark shadow on the Christian view of homosexuality. The documentary opens with Jeffrey McCall. He's a formerly gay man who briefly identified even as transgender before coming to Christ, driving to a nearby strip mall where he opens up about his past with shoppers as they walk to their cars, telling them about his faith in Jesus. Later in the documentary, we see Jeffrey counseling a mother over the phone as she struggles with her son, who now identifies as a transgender woman. We also see his work as the founder of the Freedom March, a viral movement we at CBN and Faithwire have covered several times before. It's a faith-based rally in which people like Jeffrey, who have left the LGBTQ lifestyle, come together to tell their stories of transformation through Jesus. So we recently talked about the documentary and his story with Jeffrey, living as a gay man and even identifying as a transgender woman briefly, Scarlett. Here's how he described the encounter he had with God that changed his life. While I was living in Scarlett, I became very suicidal. I became very depressed. I became very promiscuous. I began to drink alcohol like I had never drank before. I had partied, of course, for not, you know, you know, growing up, I had partied like on weekends and out with friends and things like that. But I had never drank like every day like I was doing. I had to drink even to just get ready to be Scarlett. Um, and it was then that I started having an affair with a married man in the town. He was an attorney there. So my whole life was just, I felt just oppressed in every way you could feel. I felt such a heaviness. My life was miserable, really. And here I was doing what everyone told me to do, become Scarlet, start transitioning, and you'll be happy. And I was beginning that process, but it wasn't bringing me happiness. And so it was then that uh, the encounter I had with God was I was completely alone one night, um, which was unusual because usually I went out on the weekends or I had people over to party. And that weekend I was at home alone and I, I'll never forget it was late at night and I was walking through my hall to my bedroom. And when I got to my bedroom, I just fell back on my bed and I cried out to God. I cried out to this God that I wasn't even sure if he was real, if he was there, but I thought he was and um, thought he could be. And I just remember saying, God, I think I've met people and they have peace and joy and love. And literally I'm bawling, crying. My thoughts are racing and I'm literally speaking this word, these words out of my mouth. Not just like some upset prayer inside my mind. Like I'm saying it just like I'm speaking to you. And I said, God, I know I've met people. I think they have like love and joy and peace. I don't know what happened to them, but something, they have these things that something happens in their life and it changes their life. And I, the last thing I said was, but will I ever live for you? Hmm. That's where the last words that came out of my mouth. And all of a sudden, a peace and a calm came in my mind. I'll never forget all my thoughts went silent, which until you have it happen to you, it's you can't even describe it to people. All my thoughts went silent and his voice just ran across my mind. He said, yes, you will live for me. Hmm. And I was 29 years old. I had never heard God for myself. I heard a lot about God growing up in church, but I'd never heard him, never really felt him. Um, and so he said, yes, you will live for me. And I was kind of in shock because looking around at my life and everything I was involved in, it was like, did, the, did this God that I've heard people talk about that supposedly spun the star and the moon and the, uh, the sun and the earth into orbit, why would he even take time to talk to me or answer that prayer? But I didn't know the mm -hmm. Bible. I didn't know the Bible myself. The Bible says like, He's drawn to the broken heart, like a broken and contrite heart. He will not turn away. 
And that day I was broken before him. And I had actually humbled myself and called out to him and asked for help and meant it. Not just meant like, oh, Lord, forgive me in this moment, you know, and let me move on my life and do what I want. It was like I was broken. I was like, is this, is this, is there help or not? And so that was the beginning of the process. So, I mean, just an incredible testimony right there. And and we talked about a whole lot more than he got to talk about on the documentary on Netflix. So yeah. you can hear more about his actual story in our interview, which will be on faithwire.com and on our YouTube, uh, our Faithwire YouTube channel. Uh, so Jeffrey said that he chose to participate in the documentary because he felt that someone needed to represent his community, which I talked to him about the fact that so many, Dan, in the LGBT community who have left that lifestyle, hmm. they're not even like allowed to be talked about. We don't yeah. reference them. I said, it's like your community has been erased. Uh, and he agreed with that and said it's important, like like he said, to, to participate in the documentary. He was excited to, to play a part in it uh, and to give a voice to people who have found freedom from the LGBTQ lifestyle. Uh, and he said, like, I, I agree that some of the, the ways conversion therapy has been approached in the past were harmful. Uh, and he said we need to be compassionate and we need to understand where people are coming from. Uh, you know, that people don't always feel as if they're choosing this, uh, but but if you expose them to the gospel in a compassionate way, you can lead them to Christ in that way, rather than in a way that, that maybe is, is kind of lends itself to shame, which he said is just not helpful. Right. So, you know, the political breakdown here is clear, uh, so I don't want to get into all that, but uh, because that's not really what his story is about, that's not what I want the focus or what we want the focus uh, to be here. It's just more about his story, and it's worth watching the whole interview, which, like I said, will be available on our, our Faithwire YouTube channel and on Faithwire.com. Yeah. yeah, it's really great, and it is sad that, um, to what he's talking about there, with that, you know, it's like almost taboo to say you've left that because there's so much celebration now, this open you know, celebrating yeah. pride month, you know, you going that way is so celebrated, but, and people talk about these phrases like living your truth. And, but when someone leaves that lifestyle, you don't see a lot of that celebration from mainstream culture. You know, Christians, of course, knowing that that lifestyle is a sin are celebrating that. But outside of that, you don't get much mainstream acceptance from that. Nobody says, Hey, good for you. Way to go live your truth. Right. It seems to be a very much a one-way street. Yeah, and I want to mention too, and he was careful to say this, is that uh, you know just because you leave the LGBT lifestyle like he did, he said that doesn't mean the temptations go away, the desire goes away, the pull to to walk in your sin again you know, goes away. Right. He said, uh, you know, I want to be clear about that. I, people like me still experience this, just like with any other sin. Uh, there are instances when God miraculously takes away any desire or temptation, but that's for the vast majority of people. That's not the case. He said, but the truth of the matter is, through Scripture, I know that God is the He's the God of second chances and third and fourth and fifth chances he's always ready for you uh, yeah. and waiting for you and will forgive you as long as you truly you know seek repentance yeah yeah and that's part of our sanctification process for everyone right like the the, cross, yeah. the closer we grow to god the 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 less and less we're going to be drawn to our sins so that that first step is realizing that okay this is actually sin and i need to move away from it so yeah you're not going to not not everyone experiences that like you said that instant just lack of desire for it anymore but i think Part of our sanctification process for most of us is growing in that over time and becoming more and more uh, like Christ every single day. So, all right. Yeah. Well, that is all the time we have for today. And um, as always, head on over to cbnnews.com, faithwire.com. Get more news from a Christian perspective. Click a bunch of stories, do the things. 
Um, <laughs> leave a rating over on iTunes for the 4 and 3 podcast. We'd appreciate that. And you just go on out and have a fantastic weekend. We will be back here Monday with more. God bless. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye.